Genesis 7:24 says this, and the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. 150 days cooped up on a boat. Five months with just his wife, his kids, and hundreds of animals for company. Do you know, Noah had already been on this boat for over 40 days before the 150 days started. As the rain came down and the flood covered the whole earth. And the ark would be their home for well over a year before the implications of this disaster had fully gone. But in the middle of Noah's story, after the rains had stopped, before the land started to show again, lies Genesis 7.24, which tells us there was a 150-day period that had just had to be endured by Noah and his family as he waited to see what would happen. Just waited and wondered, will the food last? Did I pack enough loo leaves for the journey? Will my kids kill each other before this is over? Will I kill my kids before this is done? Will I ever get the stench of panda poo out of my clothes? Pandas are the worst. You know, no place to go for a bit of exercise. No internet or Zoom, no Joe Wick, no Disney Plus to help him get through the days. Nothing but endless flood water in every direction, wherever he looked. For five months. Do you know, for some reason, the story of Noah's Ark has become a kid's story, a fable that helps with the sale of bath toys. But in reality, it's one of those stories in the Bible that I try and stay well clear with my kids from, especially at bedtime. Because it just raises too many hard why questions. At its heart, it's a story about God wiping out all life on earth. And all apart from eight people now bobbing up and down endlessly on the ark. And it's a story of people who had to endure through the pain and uncertainty of a world-changing event. The reality of Genesis 7.24 is that this 150-day period would have been horrendously hard for Noah as he lived with the trauma and loss of seeing all the people he had known die. There is no mention here of wider family making it onto the ark. No brothers, no cousins, no nieces, no nephews. All of those people... And all of their hopes and dreams had just been extinguished. And fear and despair must have been tempting bedfellows for Noah as the waves hit the boat endlessly. And day by day, he wouldn't have known what the future would bring for his family. Wondering what would the world look like once this event had passed. But the thing about Noah's story in the Bible is it's not a story about a man falling into depression, despair and fear. The waves that consume the world 
just don't consume his heart and mind in this 150 days and the days that follow. Instead, the picture we have here is of a man who is driven by unwavering, secure and enduring hopefulness. Not the sort of wishful hopefulness we see in the world where we dream and hope of some, for something as a bit of escapism from the reality, but we know it's never really going to happen. Like Chris Butland hopes and daydreams and wishes that one day Everton might win something, anything. Nor is it the sort of hope where we uncertainly hope against all odds for a positive outcome, just to keep the fear of the worst at bay, like the hope of a child would have as their parents went to war, that they might come back to them. Instead, Noah's hope is a hope that looks at the reality of the situation, the challenges faced, and says with unwavering optimism, I know that after autumn and winter, Although I can't see it, I can't smell it, I can't touch it yet, that spring and summer will come. That how? How did Noah have and maintain such a hope as he lived through these 150 days of confinement? Well, in the scripture leading up to Genesis 7.14, we find out a couple of key things about Noah which shed some light on this. I just want to go through those with you. Firstly, we see that he is a man who had an incredibly deep relationship with God. Genesis 6, 9 says that Noah was a man who walked with God. I love this simple phrase, walked with God. It's only used for a few people in the Old Testament and highlights individuals that lived their lives in completely the opposite way to how Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they hid themselves, when they ran from the presence of God as he walked in the cool of the day, Genesis 3.18. These individuals, like Noah, didn't just throw a prayer up when they got into trouble or reluctantly ask for directions like your dad does when you're lost. Instead, they lived an ongoing, daily, intimate relationship with him. Running into God's presence, not away from him, to walk in step, step by step through life with him. Knowing him and having him know them, warts and all. The reality is that this shows us that for every one of these 150 days, Noah was never just cooped up with his family in a small space on his own, but daily he had the opportunity to join with God back in the refreshing cool of the garden, knowing his restoring, peace-giving presence every day of this trial. So that's the first thing we learn about Noah. Secondly, before Genesis 7.14, we see Noah trusted in the ark that God designed. 
If you've seen the movie Evan Almighty, you will know that building an ark approximately the third of the size of the Titanic and filling it with every animal under the sun was a huge and ridiculous undertaking that would have just looked foolish to everyone around Noah. But we read in Genesis 6.22, when God give, gives these seemingly insane commands to Noah, Noah simply did all that God commanded of him without a second thought. He is a man in this time that trusts God desi God's design for his salvation completely. And now, in the 150 days of 714, and waiting, he stood in the fruits of this trust, surrounded and encased by the ark that God designed. Every time you look around, every time the, heart, the ark would have been knocked by the wave, he knew he stood secure, encased not in his handiwork, but in God's protective handiwork. That's the second thing. Finally, we find out that Noah stands on God's plans and promises. You know, throughout this whole story, God never gives Noah or us as readers the answers to the horror and difficulty of the event of the flood. But he does let Noah know two clear things about it. Firstly, that he was going to use this event to deal with some bad stuff. The things that sadden him the most, in fact, sin, the central cause to all pain and death and suffering in the Bible. We see this in Genesis 6, 5-7, where God, seeing how corrupt his good world had become in the hands of man, was full of regret for making man, and he grieved in his heart, and so resolved to blot them out from the face of the earth. And in 6.13, he speaks directly to Noah, letting him know he is determined in this world-changing event to painfully uproot the Japanese knotweed of sin and violence that had entangled every part of his creation. Secondly, as well as dealing with this bad thing, sin, God tells Noah that he was going to use this event to bring some new life in the world. A new stripped back life that was built on a new foundation. We see this in 6, 18 to 19 where God promises, he covenants, unbreakably covenants with Noah that he will save him and all of those in his care and bring new life out of creation for them. He promises Noah that his ark will in some way be a recreation event. So as we look at these three things then, in this 150 days of trial, not only did Noah have the presence of God to refresh him, the ark designed by God encircling him, he had the unfailing promises of God to stand on. And when you put these three things together, we're in no, left in no doubt at all where Noah's enduring hopeful optimism came from. It came from the fact that he had anchored and founded his hope in one thing alone. God. God. His hope was in and flowed from the person of God, the work of God and the promises of God spoken to him. And it is in this hope that we see Noah persevere 
through this time of isolation and five months of waiting. Listen, I, I'm sure it's obvious today why I've chosen to reflect on this very small five-month part of God's story in Genesis 7.14. To know, I, I have never lived through a time on a much smaller scale where thankfully I can still get middle-class joys like avocados and granola from Audi. Phew. That parallels this moment so much. Do you know, there is a flood of sorts rolling through the world and it tempts us to fall into fear and ask why as we see the death toll rise. Where we don't know what our lives and society will fully look like when this is all over. And where we too are isolated and just waiting to see if and how and when these waters will start to subside. And the question seems to be constantly ringing in the media and the world around me. What can we hope to come out of this? And as Christians, the question comes, can we even dare to approach this situation with the same kind of anchored hopefulness that Noah had? Church, uh, the truth is that we don't know how high the floodwaters of this situation are going to rise or what the world will look like afterwards. But the truth is also that as Christians, we actually have far greater cause for secured optimistic hopefulness in God than Noah ever did. I just want to walk you through the reasons why this morning with the rest of the time that we've got. Firstly, we have fuller access to the presence of God than Noah did. Now, one of the major things being a Christian's means is that all barriers between you and the presence of God have been removed. The Bible says that all of the things that have blocked relationship from his side have been dealt with at the cross. The temple of your life has now been washed clean, cleansed, made ready to be a dwelling place for him by Jesus' work. And he has now poured out his spirit into your life and onto all flesh. So where only one or two people had the privilege of walking with him in the Old Testament, now he, the invite is for all who know him to come and walk with him in the cool of his garden through the Holy Spirit. Paul in Galatians gives us this open invite to all followers of God. Galatians 5.25 says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Come walk with me daily. Know my healing, restoring, peace-giving, hope-generating presence through the Holy Spirit. This is the invite to all who know Jesus. To never be alone in the storms of life again but to have him walk alongside you through them. Secondly, as well as having much greater access to the Spirit, we're in a much greater ark designed by God, the ark of Jesus Christ. 
You know, the New Testament repeatedly describes those who are saved by God as being in Jesus Christ. Just like Noah was shut up in the ark by God. Colossians 3, 3-4 is a great example of this. For you died and your life is now hidden with Jesus Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Jesus is now the much bigger saving plan designed by God. His work on the cross, where he died in your place, completely defeating sin and all of its effects in you, is now the boat he has built with one righteous man, obedient by faith. And this boat now surrounds your life. Whenever the waves hit, whenever the storms come, the Bible says you are surrounded by him, firm in him. And this is the most secure hope of all, because it will not only carry us through the trials of life, but right the way through death and on into eternity as well. As Romans 8, 38-39 illuminates, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Jesus our Lord. If you stand in the ark of Jesus today, you stand secure and shut up tight in his finished work. And even if the worst happens and COVID-19 takes your life, you will sail on into eternity, safe in the ark of Christ that God designed and built around your life. That is the second thing. And finally, actually we have, as Christians today, far more revelation of God's plans and purposes than Noah ever had. Through both his word in the Bible and scripture and God speaking to his church directly through prophecy today. I mean, through scripture, we know that hard times will and do come regularly for God's people throughout history. But that his purpose for his people is always the same in these times, to refine them by fire, to purify and take away any of the dross and dirt that has got into their lives, to make them like a pure metal again. Isaiah 125 speaks of this. Just like with Noah, we know that through hard times, one of his core purposes and revelations to us is that he wants to deal with the bad and recreate the good in our lives. That's a key thing that we have to hold on to. But alongside this pattern in scripture, God today speaks abundantly to his church through prophecy into current situations to let us know that there is always hope in him in these times. I've just got, as we start to draw to a close today, three prophecies 
about this time that I want to share with you. The first of these was sent through by our very own Jenny Cowcraft, who when praying a couple of weeks ago said this. When praying, I saw a tsunami hitting our country. But despite the destruction it caused, the country was washed clean when it was receded. I was also reminded at this time of a picture I'd been given before of the UK being covered in grass and wheat. And as I saw this, God let out a deafening roar. And as the roar rolled across the land, much of this wheat and grass was blown away. And that which remained burst was ignited into flames. Both of these pictures spoke to me that although something destructive was coming, it would cause the church to truly ignite again. That's the first picture. The second comes from a lady called Ginny Burgeon, who has an incredible prophetic gift. She actually prophesied the death and reaction of Diana before it happened. And quite some time before COVID-19 began, she said these words. I just feel God saying, in yet a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and that which cannot be shaken will remain. I've not spoken these things to you because you do not hear. I've spoken these things to you to underline my promises to you at this time. I've spoken these things to you that you may write them in the depths of your heart. I've spoken these things to you that you may know that that which cannot be shaken will be that which will remain. For a shaking is coming in this nation, says the Lord. Great challenges will come. Challenges that change every part of where a man puts his security. For even as shoppers go out in their materialism, they will be faced with eternity. As many celebrate international sporting events, they will be faced with eternity. And I tell you, unprecedented things will happen in government. Unprecedented things will happen in the heavens over this nation. For I tell you, I am about to move in this nation in a way that has not been seen in your day. I tell you, it is a time now for this nation to begin to seek the Lord. That's number two. I just want to finish with a smaller one that I felt God speak to myself. It just involves this plant, really. This is, this is my chilli plant. It was given to me uh, by my sister in August last year. And uh, since August, actually, despite watering it regularly and actually caring for a plant for once, uh, it's been just looking sicker and sicker day by day as I've been trying to care for it and last week it was as good as dead and I was about to throw it away but as I uprooted it to uh, to throw it into the bin I noticed that around the bottom of the roots actually a, a plastic bag from when it was bought was still there and all the water that I'd been pouring into it had actually not got through to the roots of the plant and since then, I've been watering it. And you can see it's not perfect, those plant lovers amongst you, but it is getting better. And I felt God speak to me about this time. And God saying to us, his people, this is a time where I'm removing the plastic of society 
round your life. I've been trying to get the water of my spirit into your life and my word deep for some time now, but this world has been a distraction to you. You have been too hurried, too busy to come and be with me, to come and take on my word, to come and walk in my way. You have been too caught up by the things of this world, my church. And I want to remove that film from around you in this time so that you can come to me and know the health that only I can bring alone. All of these three things have something in common, these three words. Do you know, they all say, listen, there is a time of trial that we have to walk to, but they give us hope in that time of trial that the living God and the King of Kings has purpose for us, his people and church within that, to restore us, to prosper us, not to harm us. So you see, beautiful church, you have so many foundations. You have God's presence, God's word, and are in God's ark of Jesus Christ. So that like Noah, you can have that confident, deep, hope in God as you walk through this Genesis 17, 7, 14 moment. You can walk through this 150 days with such a deep hope and optimism. That optimism that Paul encourages when he says, put on the hope of salvation in all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. You can live your life in this way and be carried through. There is such reason to hope today. Let it be an encouragement to you. Look, if you're not a Christian today and you've been listening to this this morning and your response is this, look, that's all very well for you Christians, but what about me? I want to tell you there's two reasons for hope for you. Just in this situation, at the end of the story of Noah and his ark, you might have seen more and more rainbows out in windows. I know there are a few on my street today. But God set a promise in the sky where he hung up his bow in the form of a rainbow. Beautiful to say, I will never do something to this extent to rid the world of sin again. That was a once and only event. So there's hope within that. But there's also a deeper hope within this. Because there's a huge difference between Noah's Ark, which saved just a few, and the Ark of Jesus Christ. The Ark of Christ is for everyone for all time. And Jesus' invite this morning is to come aboard. Come aboard into the salvation that may have looked foolish to you even a week ago. But the salvation that was designed by God through faith in him and his work and promises. God's invite is to come for you to come and live in this secure hope, in this love and this presence of God that he always desired for you to have in your life this morning. God bless you church. I just encourage you, take hold of who God is. Walk in the hope that he has given us in such richness to walk through all the trials of life. I miss you and I cannot wait to be with you on a Sunday again soon. God bless.